Yeah, for everyone listening, we're talking about what we just did. Tori just took me through a breathwork session and it was intense and I'm pretty gooned out right now, to be honest. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> it was awesome. I just can't believe that that you can feel all of that just from breathing. And I didn't know I was so bad at it. Like I didn't know that it was such a um I guess I didn't know that I wasn't breathing properly until we started working together. And, uh, and I didn't know through breathing properly with a, like a concerted guided kind of effort, like we just had for about an hour. Um, I don't know. I could feel like that. Like the feelings were just bananas, like if third breath and I'm feeling a pulse in my stomach and, and then, um, you know, later through those really deep, deep holds, you know, uh, feeling like my body is so hyper oxygenated that it was almost vibrating and dizzy, but in a good way and arms numb and, and all of these, uh, things happening in my body that then that opens up weird things for your mind, you know, and, you know, led by the questions that you ask. It was awesome. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure and it's an honor to guide people into what I call their felt space, which is the ability to feel more deeply. And what, what you're really chatting about here is, you know, the shallow breath is most of us are living pretty dissociated. Yeah. And what does that mean is disconnected from the self mm -hmm. and in a state of either emotional deregulation or disconnection. So that shows up in feeling numb or maybe you're with your partner, or your girlfriend, and you're like, I should be feeling something epic right now. You yeah. work really hard and then kind of not being able to access or, you know, you stub your toe with your kids and then you're like losing it and you, you know, it's out of context. Yeah. Right. And so this is when we're sort of living dissociated and in our society, we really practice dissociation through stress and we're meant or we're hardwired for stressful moments, but not a stressful life. And so we, we live in that constantly. We're operating from our amygdala. So our center of survival. And one of those things is fight, flight, freeze or fawn is we choose to disconnect often from the feeling. So dissociation is when we disconnect from a feeling that we feel out of capacity with. But the reality is, is you can't disconnect from one without the other because feelings are just meaning, but it's actually one container. So what that looks like is when we don't want to feel that stressful thing, the first thing we do when we go into our amygdala is we hold our breath. I can I do that. Yes, you do. <laughs> we work on that a lot. And I can work with a client and, you know, even in a first interview and know where their nervous system is really at. And it doesn't matter how incredible the sales pitch is or how professional and curated the communication is. You can tell by a lot by how somebody's breathing for what's really going on inside. And this is so powerful for leadership because what we're feeling is actually what we're inspiring you can get somebody for a few moments in a good conversation, but like if we were to just apply this to say like sales, what's really going to close the deal? Somebody's like, something just didn't feel right. So we have mirror neurons. So how we're feeling is projecting also a vibe. We call it a vibe in the room, how the other person, and when they don't have the right information, they don't know that somebody is incongruent or in a state of survival in their body. It tells the other something is dangerous. I better get out of here. So that really inhibits our ability to have connection, which then we get on this negative cycle is our ability to feel. So working with people and coming into regulation of the nervous system, I always say to people, it's really just simple breath 
is life. When you're alive, everything that you are experiencing is felt through your body. Everything you're after is a feeling and everything you're avoiding is a feeling and then everything else is just an activation to move you towards or away. So Cam, we were just talking about this. So like, you know, we're focusing on tracking everything. Sleep, why? Because you want to feel better. Mm. What does sleep mean? More rest means you feel better. Digestion, why? Because we feel good when we have good digestion. It's a physical feeling we're after. But we're not really focusing on actually just the simplicity of exercising our felt space. And that's kind of the work that we've been doing. And so one of the many ways and tools that we do that is by regulating and learn to regulate the nervous system. And we approach it just like you're taking your nervous system to the gym. And you've had years at this point of shallow breathing. Shallow breathing sends a signal to the brain that I'm in survival. So that means that we're constantly in a creation of I'm surviving, which perpetuates stress, keeps us offline out of you know, these moments that we're looking for. And maybe as an example, you can share your epiphany that you came to today around what came up for you and the breath, because what I did for you was regulate your nervous system. We saw the vagus nerve go really crazy. That was the pulsing in the body. And at the beginning, it's very common that it feels really uncomfortable, right? There's a natural resistance because the body's like, is this safe to come out of survival? And it takes resilience. That's what we're working on to get past that. Mm -hmm. And that's where guidance is really helpful. And then we use somatic release because there was a lot of energy and a lot of meaning in there that didn't know how to come out in a productive way. Well, just tell people about the uh, leg positioning. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So we, um, there's lots of different positions depending on what a client is going through and that everything that we're working on is intentional and it's all specific to you in that moment. So today we knew we wanted to go deeper. And so what you can do is you can lay on the floor and you prop your knees up and we can maybe flip a resource that everybody can check and you put the heels of your feet together and you allow your legs to fall open. And even in a really, really gentle breath, what can start to happen is some people experience it as a vibration. Some people experience it as like quivers or shaking. And we store so much trauma in our hips in the sacral area. And so when you allow it to sit in a vulnerable position like that, you're able to somatically open up the gates to release the things that you're holding. And so just by how we position your body sets you up for success to physically move energy. You know, an emotion is a feeling in your body that you have meaning and to physically move it through. And, and people think energy is blocked. That's not probably, you can't, how do you block energy? It's infinite, mm. but we can direct it. So when we have those discomfort, it's often because we're in resistance and that takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we opened up the gates. We allowed some of that trauma. We allowed some of that vision. We allowed some of that restricted, resisted felt space in your body to have a channel to move more productively. And we directed it with your breath. Mm-hmm. And it's also, there's many different breath techniques that we can activate in order to strengthen, in order to regulate, in order to release. And I always encourage people to think of your nervous system like a muscle and whatever you practice in your life will reflect. And if you are holding your breath, you're offline. That's how you know. Yeah. If you are breathing deeply, then you're online and even just observe yourself. We did this the other day. It's like you had a meeting 
and we've been practicing breath. And then we went through on one of our calls and you're now starting to recognize when you hold your breath. Yeah, that's great and terrible. Yeah, you it's know. great because you're like, no, I got to do this. But the power <laughs> yeah. of that is like, what's what's the downside? And I think you can attest to this. The downside of holding your breath is that it takes you out of presence and puts you into survival. And when we're in this area of the brain, it's called an amygdala hijack. We actually can't access our critical thinking, our empathy. So if we're looking at it from a work perspective, we're in our most inefficient state. So with that awareness, which we've worked on, you actually have tools in that moment that nobody would even notice to regulate your nervous system right in the boardroom so that you can actually be coherent and then be in a position to, to face challenging things and be the leader that you need to be in order to run your company. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets really powerful. Like what is the value of being online is feeling a deeper life and helping others. Mm-hmm. And I think the performing is not the right word, but you know, performing at a higher level or just achieving what you want to achieve. It depends, I guess, if no one's going to do this, that doesn't want to, right. That doesn't want to be more authentic, more effective in, in accomplishing their goals, their team's goals, their clients' goals, you know? So I only say it's great and terrible because it's, uh, you know, it's great to become aware of, you know, when you're going offline and then once you're aware, then you kind of, you know, it's, it's a red pill, blue pill thing, right? Like sometimes ignorance is bliss. And when you're aware, it's both an opportunity and something that you've got to deal with. (laughs) I always tell people there's always the messy middle. When you start to come online, it's, it's almost beautiful destruction. Yeah. And in any transformation, there's death and then there's rebirth. And that part's pretty fucking shitty. Let's be honest. Yeah. And when you feel more, you know what? You feel more. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where you do the practice and have the work, but you're future casting your life for what you not actually want to do, but how you want to feel in the doing. Yeah. And that's ultimately like, that's the sum of the whole human experience, how you felt about it. That's it. Yeah. Live the life you want to feel. Yeah. If I had like one power statement, like that's it. And that, that actually takes resilience. Yeah. Because when you come online and you start feeling these things and we've worked on this, it's like you have that one side that wants to just shut it off and it takes two because it's easier in the moment, but it comes at such a high cost because then later on when we're at home with the kids at the dinner table, we can't access Mm -hmm. the felt space that we want. Yeah. So everything has a cost. I always say that everything has a cost. Yeah. So in that moment, you start to feel more deeply. And often when I'm working with people where I always say it's like a training more than a coaching in the sense of over time, it's skill-based is you want, um, we're, we're often afraid more of not what we're going to feel, but what we don't want to feel. So it's like not wanting to, I literally hear this word being afraid to open up Pandora's box. And it's like being afraid to do a psychedelic. You're like, I want the good. Yeah. But I'm afraid of what might come up. Yeah. And in a way, breath, which we were just talking about this, it's insane what you can access in your body when you come online. It can be almost psychedelic. And it's actually like a gentle version of self-inquiry. Because like we have 11 million parts of information that we absorb into the body in any second. And our brain actually organizes that in five to seven parts. So none of us are really in reality And your felt space, we're just information receiving machines. And when we get into our breath 
and we regulate our nervous system, you get into that information without story. And you start to just feel necessarily without those looping crazy thoughts. So when you started the session today, you know, at the beginning you had all these just really normal looping, like I got to do the task list. Totally. And then maybe share if you're comfortable how you, what your process of what you experience because it's very sure. common. All right. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. Mm-hmm. That's like every Tuesday. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it started uh, today, started really physical. Uh, you know, the numbness, the tingling, the, all that stuff going on, like almost psychedelic, uh, eyes totally closed and, and, uh, felt great. But honestly, it feels at first it feels labored for me because I'm literally not good at breathing. So when you make me breathe the right way, um, and I could feel you like, uh, touching, I think my stomach and chest and, and, uh, later tapping my sternum and stuff, that stuff helps. But honestly, it's tiring, you know, breathing the right way, you know, filling the belly and then filling the chest and then the top of the chest and, and then sipping and then holding, it, it gets wild. After a while, um, yeah, my mind went to, you know, frustrations, I think that's what's coming up. I guess it's top of mind, you know, in particular, just, you know, people, it's people stuff. Usually it's people, it's, it's me trying to achieve results, feeling uh, pressured and, uh, maybe, uh, let down in some ways by, um, you know, some people and, uh, and then figuring out that, you know, my thoughts went to, um, you know, that's my fault. I'm putting, I have unrealistic expectations of people and, and I need to, you know, redesign that to work better and all good stuff, you know, but small compared to later, later on when you were, you know, I think you were, I don't remember all of it clearly, but you know, you're tapping my chest and then, and then repeating like I am over and over, uh, the first few times you said it, you know, I was thinking, okay, she's going to ask me, you know what I am to choose something, to have a mantra, something I'm going to repeat. And I was wondering, you know, what am I, what am I going to choose? Like, what am I, you know? And I couldn't really decide or think of anything good. So ideas started flowing and then, and then you just kept going with it. I don't know for how long, but after a while, every time you said I am, which was felt like about every three seconds, uh, something, whatever came up, just came up, you know, whatever came up in that moment came up. And for me, it was surprising at that point because the things that were coming up were related to where I thought it was blocked in my life. Like if I think about what I really, really want in life, it's to um, like I pursue in terms of living the life I want to feel. I want to feel authentic 100% all the time. I don't like any situation where um, I feel pressure to be anything else. I value freedom a lot, a lot, like it's top of the food chain for me. Um, and and then now, you know, 40 minutes ago or whatever it was, 10 minutes ago, I can't remember, but you know, that's what's coming up for me. You know, I've designed a life for myself. That's pretty fucking awesome. Honestly, you know, I've got, um, so much freedom and opportunity in my life that it's almost uh, ironic. It's not the right word, but it just, it was surprising to me that I was, I was the words that were coming up, like I am free, I can do this and I can do that. And I can do just about anything I want to do. So the surprise was that out of that situation, out of that moment of like really the free thoughts flowing from my subconscious or my whatever, 
uh, in a normal state, like in the middle of any given day, like just maybe just talking it through with you or with somebody else, I would have said, I am not free. I have all this shit I got to do. I have all these people I'm accountable to. I got so much pressure. So yeah, that was a, that was a huge surprise for me. And it makes me feel pretty good, actually. Really good. Really good. Thank I can you. See that. Yeah. Well, it's so powerful because in a lot of the work that I do and the people that I support is just helping them wake up and remember that often everything they're looking for, they already have. And the missing resource is the ability to be in the body and actually feel it and be in the presence of it. And so everything that we're working on, it's like how I always say to people, how do you know when you got the thing you're looking for? It's a feeling. And so today you were in your body. Yeah. And that's, you know, everybody's heard that. Everybody's heard uh, spiritual people say things that sound like some version of everything that you need, you already have, and mm-hmm. you can't take it with you. And, you know, all these type of things. Right. And what happened for me today is it wasn't some spiritual person saying that to me. It, it came from me, you know, yeah. it came from within. And that's yeah. why it was. And really ultimately, different. like, that's what a good guide That's ultimately why some, you know, it can be annoying when you don't get given the answers, like when you're doing work with someone, but that's ultimately the intent of a guide. It's like never to give you the answers. It's, it's never to give you the big epiphany, but it's to guide you into that. And it's been my experience that when you put people in their body, their ability to access truth, intuition, and instinct becomes accessible. And there's, like I said, 11 million parts. There's so much information that is coming into our body that is informing everything that we're doing and feeling that we're not really consciously aware of. So a lot of the times in our work is I'm putting you into the subconscious so that you can access in a conscious mind what it is that you already know in a truth state, but not in the, what I call like the automation of life. So coming back to what I I just said is I always ask people like, how do you know when you're there unless you practice the feeling? And I have many clients as an example where what's the magic number, right? And then you get to that place and it's like, you still don't feel the safety or the thing you thought you would feel. So if you focus on the feeling first as a muscle, and then you build your life around that, you're kind of guaranteed to not get somewhere and then realize it wasn't really what you were looking for. And I think that that's powerful, less wasted time. Yeah. Ultimately. And like today, walking out of here, we spoke about that, you know, with your, with your family and your little kids is you're currently in a state of presence and really dropped in. And so what that allows you is to optimize every minute with your daughter this evening when you're having dinner, like you're in it. It just tastes sweeter Mm. when we're in the body and we're present and you're there with your little dog and, and you actually catch that moment that makes you smile and feel something Yeah. as opposed to if anybody can relate. I always say that I help people go from watching the movie of their life to feeling the the movie of their life, being the main character, being it as opposed to seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. I would hate to be watching the movie of my life. Yeah. Especially for parents. I mean, I think kids can feel that stuff. Well, I think we all, whether it's in like, we, that's the thing is we all on the outside, I think we're all doing a great job and we all think we know like that nobody knows how we're feeling. And you're like, everybody does. We often don't know the details, but you know, if somebody's not in a good mood or not coherent Mm -hmm. and most certainly children, particularly under seven, because they're just totally, they're not even functional fully in the brain. They're fully in their energetic body. Their whole, every moment is for a young child is driven on how they feel 
And then they're building their subconscious for how they're going to take that into a template. So they feel, and then they're cataloging meaning on that feeling in early childhood. And then we spend a whole life exercising that, Yeah, which is pretty crazy. And then we end up working together and then we start untangling that, yeah. <laughs> the meaning and let's get rid of the meanings and just keep the feels. Yeah. I think I learned early in life to disassociate to, I think maybe, maybe that's not original. Oh, a lot of people do. Honestly, this, I think this is in my opinion, this is the real pandemic and it's directly related to a mental health pandemic. Because if you think about it, say for example, as a little kid up to about age seven, we have areas of the brain that are not developed and we have a bias. We are born with our amygdala. So the survival center fully developed. And anybody who's had kids knows that like every year there's kind of a different season, but an and intensity, like a three-year-old's got big emotions all of a sudden, because now they also have big ego. So it's like, I want to do it. I want, you know, and they're learning themselves through contrast. So imagine as an example around this age, and most people, they can't remember before three because you're completely just building your subconscious. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, so what, let's say that your child has a temper tantrum and let's say that we didn't assume that she was doing something to thwart you, although it might be not good timing and all the rest. What if actually a temper tantrum is actually a child naturally integrating their nervous system? So what I mean by that yeah. is they're actually having an experience in that moment that is bigger than the capacity that they felt before or know how to deal with. And because they're totally in an energetic state, they don't have the same meaning is what they are actually automate. Like we come in knowing how to regulate. They scream, they shake. They sleep. What does a dog do? So if you wash your dog and it's under stress, they run around, they howl and they shake. We're, we're mammals. We do the same thing. Why? Because that's actually them bringing their nervous system into regulation. But what happens, what we do to a little kid is we take away the love and they only have one channel. Do my actions bring me more love or do I lose the love, which is just a felt space. And so they have the temper tantrum and now they're punished or they're separated, their separation, and they have a tag. If I express myself, I lose love. Mm -hmm. So what starts to happen in a little child's brain is that no longer becomes safe. Yeah. They learn to. So they only have one choice because yeah. they're just completely an energetic felt space being at that point is they have to disconnect from it. And then what starts to happen that primes us perfectly for when we go to school, because now we have to assimilate. Yeah. So we have a system that rewards disconnection and dissociation. And you, the, we spoke a lot about this before. Um, and I think this is a really important um, distinction. Dissociation, you can accomplish a lot. Totally, I get it. And that's the disease. You can accomplish a lot, but then what happens is we also need a lot of drama. We need a lot of contrast because our own matrix and universe gives that to us to try and get us online. It will always try and get you back online. Yeah. So, you know, say for me in my past as an adventurer, you know, the more dissociated I was or the bigger the adventure also to get the feels, I had to do something really big. Yeah. And that can create a really dramatic and stressful life. And you're, you start to have this emotional deregulation and what we unteach children that they come in knowing is in our nervous system and as a human, okay, watch the heartbeat goes up and then it goes down. You'll also see a child when allowed to fully integrate in 
a temper tantrum or a big feeling is they have something that looks like, a, like if an adult did it, it would be like a mental breakdown. But then five minutes later, they're running around and they're fine. They projectile puke. And then 10 minutes later, they're fine. Yeah. Their body has this natural way of bringing them back to center and, and you have to go through a full cycle. So the tide in nature goes out and then it also comes in. Things grow and they die. So these are the laws of nature as it comes up, it must come down. Mm-hmm. And when we have, as a culture, committed to dissociation because it allows us to stay on the growth curve, growing, growing, growing. And then we get rewarded for what we call hustle, hustle, hustle. We get rewarded for staying in a stress cycle, mm-hmm. right? So we're resisting death as a construct. And the only way that we can uphold that structure is by teaching our people and our community and our children to be dissociated because ultimately you become a slave. Yeah. It's a lot harder to objectify each other when we're in a felt space, mm-hmm. but it is the shift in a lot of the leaders I work with is, you know, we, we used to lead through muscle and now we lead through intellectual dominance and the future is the heart. And even the millennials, they tell us that, it's not just being motivated by bottom line. It's like, I want to feel, I feel entitled to have a better life. What does that look like? I want more holidays. I'm more motivated by that than just the money or I want more autonomy. Mm-hmm. People are starting to feel entitled to feel. So it's like, we got to catch up as leaders. Like, I think there's something cracking. And when we are dissociated for too long, this is where mental health becomes really impacted because we get disconnected from the body the body that tells us, Hey, something's going on or, you know, the body's speaking. And most people think that intuition is God in your ear. And for some, yes, but for most of us, it's actually spoken through the body. It's the body is an information receiving machine that is guiding you in every moment on how to live your best life. And so it's saying, don't go down that alley. It's saying, you know what? I tell you every time you have, you know, that bean or that gluten, I don't feel good. That doesn't make me thrive. Right. And it's our ability. We have to be in a felt space to be able to experience the contrast of our body to connect with our intuition and use our body as a guide. So when we're dissociated, we end up in places that we don't want to be. And that's what I call the life quake. That's when you get to that moment where you hit that like brick wall. You're like the universe like brings you to your knees and it could be like a death. It could be a divorce. It could be a bankruptcy. It could be a health issue. But that moment where when you don't stop, something will stop. And the gift of these moments, but they come at a high cost, is they get you online. And that's also what a broken heart is. You're you're like online. Mm-hmm. You're catapulted into your body. And then you have an opportunity to essentially wake up. Mm-hmm. But what if we didn't have to have that whole cycle of chaos and drama? And by training children from a young age, we're literally training them to a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. where we have to get halfway through our life before we go, what life do I really want to live and have a lot of drama and chaos, you know, in between, but that yeah. could all just be cut out. And the funny thing is, you know, my work will never be relevant with children. Like if I want to be reminded of my work, I go and sit with children because it's really what we've been untaught, which is why at the beginning is my job is facilitating a remembering. So Cam already knows We've already done your values. We already got you really clear and that blew your, like that really was like, you know, whoa, you didn't see some of the stuff that came up. And now we see the cycle of how you activate your values in your life. Mm -hmm. But it was just a reminder Mm -hmm. of what you already knew, organized in a way that you could make tangible in the real world. 
in the life, in actually building your life. And today, the exact same thing happened. You were just reminded of everything that you're desiring is already in your present space. And the missing resource was not more work to get that thing. It was actually the work to be in the present space. It's almost the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's hard to understand, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But who really understands it? At the end of the day, if we were to simplify it, is we all want to feel good. I want to understand it. And that takes just a bit of practice. Yeah. I'm just slow. You're not slow. You're just stone right now. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You've just been dry. Cam has just been uh, intentionally dropped into a very deep nervous system reset, rebalance and wash. And (laughs) so when you come out of it, you kind of do have that like, yeah, you know, like, you're like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm so good. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, yeah, I was like, I don't think you need any psychedelics today. No, definitely not. (sighs) Ah. And now that now your nervous system is like, I need a nap. (laughs) I really like guys on this podcast. Maybe we just could have a team nap. Yeah. I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. I'll track my sleep. Just like you were saying before. I can't help it. Yeah. Tracking all that stuff. Well, we, I don't know, like I'm not a tech person, but you know, I think that we need to have a felt space app, which is, you know, something that is tracking or quantifying because that's how most people in this consciousness are motivated actually are strengthening of our physical feelings, what we really want, quantifying them. Yeah. And I think that would be really powerful. And, and also too, like for leadership, any tech people out there is the concept of how do you bring felt space into the boardroom? Like more humanity is we have to be online and you know how you get online. Like the first thing is we got to want to, so awareness and there's skills around body scanning, which we were talking about. And then the second is when you get online, then you need a few tools to be like, well, now what the fuck do I do? And that all of this is actually learnable. Like none of this is magic. None of this is some like fancy skill I have. I just have like a construct of how I put it together. That's hopefully accessible, but you're like, this is all learnable. It's all wildly possible with a bit of commitment. I want to learn it. I do. I'm I'm all in. I I think it is. uh, I want to be a better leader so I can do more cool shit and accomplish more with better people accomplishing their goals. And, uh, and I do think this is the next opportunity in leadership is to, um, you know, stay connected, stay in, uh, you know, people talk about company values and, and company purpose and how to motivate millennials and stuff like that a lot. And I think this includes all of that kind of stuff and more. Small in. I'm, we made a six month commitment to work together. Yeah. Is, uh, I mean, it takes that long, I think, just to get started. Absolutely. And, and I have to say you've been amazing because, yeah, there's been times where I know you haven't wanted to show up. And what's been really cool is in those moments are the times that that's where you need the guidance. Yeah. And you have every time. And every time when you just allowed yourself, like you've had big shifts. And, you know, big recognition on like, I always say to people, we're all just one big pattern. Like we're, we're so consistent. Like you're consistent to you in a unique way, but you're consistent. I'm consistent. And once you get visibility kind of on the roadmap of your shit, like what is the thing that's keeping you limited or small or away from the felt space you desire? Mm -hmm. It's actually, it's like clear. And then it's just 
it's like all roads lead back to Rome. And it's like just one at a time going down those roads and all of our sessions, like you're, you've had a few leadership moments where I think I've seen like, you know, incredible shifts in you. And even now in our two couple calls ago, we're having some leadership conversations that were really impactful for your company and you caught yourself holding your breath. Yeah. And then you saw how that trickled into the previous conversation and your own cause and effect. And then in the next meeting shifted it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those meetings are hard at first. They're harder. You know, they come up and uh, they've been previously scheduled in the middle of a busy day where some shit had come up and uh, it's just about the last thing in the world that you feel like doing. It reminds me of um, when I had a Mandarin tutor <laughs> and I had just foolishly scheduled this regularly two o'clock or something like that. And, and I'd be sitting with her and she's lovely and she's trying to teach me Mandarin and I cannot focus. Like my mind is absolutely elsewhere in it. Uh, I had to end it before uh, I strangled her cause I was just losing it. It just was so incredibly frustrating that uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. And it felt, there's some days in earlier days with us where it felt a little bit like that. But now that I know the rewards of it and how I'm going to feel after and, and uh, a sense of what a new perspective on the same issues is going to feel like mm-hmm. um, it's, I know it's worthwhile. So well, I think it's, uh, it's mental health hygiene. Yeah. Well-being hygiene yeah. and, and also getting away from like, I literally say that word really specific, well-being hygiene. If you want to be a well-being, you have to invest in it. And consistency is one of the number one things for your nervous system, whatever you choose to do. Because one of the first things that will trigger your body into unsafety, which is when we stop breathing and we go offline and we go into this amygdala that I'm talking about, it literally takes over. We get looping thoughts. Ego goes crazy. We don't feel good. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing is just... Is the amygdala the lizard brain? Yeah. 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 It's like our first survival center, Yeah, you know, is that you got that feeling is that there's a panther in the bushes. Yeah. You're just like prehistoric. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's like the first thing you got to do is just, um, you obviously recognize it and consistency because that tells your nervous system when we're in unknowns, even if it's not a bad one, our amygdala is activated. So first step is like every week, whatever it is, having a mental health, hygiene moment, a, a well-being investment because your nervous system, it's no different than taking out the garbage. Yeah. You know, if you're starting to progress really fast because now we've emptied that out and now it's easier for you to drop in super deep and get psychedelic without taking any psychedelics in a one hour breath session and get clarity that sometimes people can take years in therapy. Mm-hmm. And still, and this is a keyword, and still never feel it. Mm-hmm. The key is you saw it, but you also experienced it. And that's the power of having a regulated nervous system. And that's the power of sometimes getting out of talk and voice and into the body, mm-hmm. you know, because we can get out of story. Yeah. Freedom is just a feeling. It can come to you. And so we don't have to come up with all the stories of how you're going to get it. If you can get it in anything you do, because you know how to feel it. That's way, way less limiting, right? Yeah. So have a mental health hygiene moment in your week and create cadence around that. And your body will start to look forward to it. And I'll give you an example. Other things that 
you know, we work on is even somatic releasing. So how to actually, when we have a stressful moment, we're hardwired for stressful moments, but we're really not hardwired to live in stress. So somatic release is one of many tools in our toolkit to help release when we know we've had a stressful moment. So we know that we've had a meeting that was adversary or a contract that like, we're like, I'm not breathing. How do you know you need a somatic release or stress relief? You stop breathing. So that's, again, it actually gets quite simple. I'm not breathing. I'm just going to do this little thing right now. Shake, rest, make sound or move. And the cool thing is none of this actually even costs. It's free. It's in your body. And as somebody in a leadership position, when you schedule a mental health or a well-being hygiene moment in your week, and you even make that public, you give other people permission to normalize that mental health is a total natural part of the human experience. Every single person will be challenged in their mental health. Not everybody will have mental illness, but it is a sliding scale. And just like the physical body where we will have physical illness physical health challenges, we will have mental. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. So the moment that you declare that, you now create a culture that allows people to ask for the help to vocalize and also for you to train the skills in order for them to dump their bucket. So then it doesn't add up to a critical moment. And then we go, where did that come from? Why is this person sick all the time? Why is this person checked out? Mm-hmm. So even we were talking earlier, like let's say somebody's really checked out. The first thing that goes to my mind is that person is dissociated. So if they're dissociating, they're either well-trained or something is triggered, they're out of capacity to feel something. They don't have the tools. And so they're offline. So do I have a safe culture and a safe space? And how do we create that coherence as a leader? So how I would operate with that person in a boardroom is I would make sure my breath is really regulated. Mm-hmm in order to ensure that they're even physically in the room. And I would watch their breath pattern if I felt like they weren't really being vested. And that would indicate to me whether they were actually in their amygdala or their frontal cortex, and whether they actually had the presence to have the depth of conversation, which would indicate, is this person a player in my company or a passenger and helps you make more critical decisions? Yeah. And this is how like it starts to, your mental health hygiene moment starts to inspire uh, a whole culture that shifts. So interesting, you know, the, the change of, um, you know, what I thought being a leader and an employer and a boss or CEO or whatever, whatever I thought that was, you know, in, in uh, business school mm-hmm. um, versus what the reality of it has become now is just bananas. Like it's just so completely different. Like oh. this thinking that, um, knowing that, that I will work with you to, you know, make mental health a big part of our company's culture, to give permission to people to talk about it, to, uh, feel, you know, no shame about it Mm -hmm. and to teach the team, the tools to, uh, be able to talk about, you know, big issues and feelings and things like that. I I didn't, I never took a course on that. Like, well, isn't this crazy that you know, we think leaders in this era, we're so skilled. Like there's the right person for every job. That That is not our missing resource, but keeping our staff vested. Like what is our, what is most companies greatest cost? Like probably turnover and performance. And that's about how vested somebody is. And a hundred times over, you've hired somebody, you've already checked their skill. That's not the missing resource. It's hard to get a high level job without the training, right? Yeah. So you know, having 
the tools in order, like what are leaders in this era? Like you're really mental health coaches. That's leadership in the future. Yeah. And you're right that that's ultimately the work that I've been doing with CEOs. And, and the reason why I work with CEOs is, you know, input versus output. If, if I shift you and you shift all these other people under you, then that's impact. And, you know, when we come back to the earlier conversation about a three-year-old, like even in, in the company, like, you know, even just having the right HR training on a Tuesday that if I would, when I go into most companies, the basics of movement, activating safe, and I say safe sound because is also a specific thing, you know, uh, time for rest, but what does that really mean? And what are the boundaries around that? You know, those are just a couple and that's exactly what we do when we're three. That's what we've untaught people. So it wasn't safe for them to do it when they're three. So why would it be safe for them to do it in their company in the middle of the day? Like people feel completely unsafe to experience themselves deeply and authentically. Yeah. And so the training for you, the training for a company in the concept, like I am not the felt space. The felt space is a concept of how to feel more deeply as a skill Yeah. and how to inspire a world that is allowed. That's a key word. Not all of us, we weren't allowed to feel. We weren't allowed to be us. And how do we create a culture where we just even start with giving people the basic, helping them remember those natural ways of regulating our nervous system before we even focus on communication? You know, we can have, and this is where we focus on skills. This is, I suppose, a perspective I'm inspiring. We've focused on skills for far too long and left our feelings off the boardroom table. Mm-hmm. When ultimately the skills are all there, but what is holding you back is what you're afraid to feel and you know, like what you don't want to feel. And ultimately what every moment of your life is motivated by is what you want to feel more deeply. Mm-hmm. And do you have the resilience and the tools in order to build that life? Mm-hmm. And most people I know don't want to go home. Their choice isn't to go home and watch Netflix, but that's what they feel they want to do because they don't have any other tool in order to downregulate. So instead of downregulating, which is a skill, we're disconnecting. Mm-hmm. We're disconnecting through sex, through drugs, through alcohol. But what your system is asking for is downregulation. And there's so many other paths that scratch that itch, but bring you online in the process versus bringing you offline. Yeah. And that's like what I'd say is the tangible missing resources that are very skill-based that are very trainable and shareable and, and creating empowered people. Yeah. I'm guilty of downregulating with Netflix. Yeah. I'm well, and this is the thing also too, which you've definitely experienced with me. I hope there is no right or wrongs. There's just contrast. So when you're in a felt space or when you work with me, it's getting you out of the wellness to-do list of all the things you think you should do, all the pills you think you should have in order to be well. And when you're in the felt space and you have the muscle to be there, it's like a muscle. And I say that as like, sometimes you're going to watch Netflix, but consciously know why you're doing it. And if you can watch Netflix and tap into being like, you know what? I actually really want to watch this movie you can still activate that and be online. Yeah. And it's like when we're just doing things that appear numbing and it's okay not to be conscious all of the time in your life. But I think most of us would desire to have the choice and that's what we're missing by not having the skills. Cause you know what? Maybe sometimes you want to go with your buddies and you just want to have a bunch of beers. And like that also serves an itch. And, and a lot of my training is also from Ayurveda 
And I'll give this as an example. Coming from the felt space is and focused on the feeling you want to have in your life versus what you think you need to do to get the feeling. So having a whole bunch of pills I need to take, I, I don't get any feeling from that. So it's questionable whether that actually evokes wellness for me. It actually feels like a burden. It's a to-do list. And then I go to my grandma's. My grandma makes this, this fucking cake and it's like this suicide. You know, it's, it's like two bags of sugar and, <laughs> and milk and like everything that we're told is like glued everything. Yeah. It's just a digestive bomb. Yeah. But I've had that with my grandma since I was a little girl and it brings me so much joy Yeah, that I am fully congruent when I eat that with my grandma. Now I don't really do well on dairy. So in almost every other context, if I have dairy, like I'm not well, but for some reason, and in Ayurveda, it wouldn't just be some reason, reason this is a concept yeah. is they focus on the state of your body in receiving life versus what you need to do. So it's not about making sure you have vitamin A because if you're not in a receiving mode, it's irrelevant. So if it's a task and not felt, so because I'm so congruent and in such a state of joy and presence with my grandma, all of that stuff doesn't have the same impact on my body that it would otherwise. I feel better in that moment eating every fucking thing I know is shitty than I do taking like every pill I have that tells me on the box where I have no emotional connection that is going to be good for me. So when you start to work in the felt space, you also get to save money. You get to simplify, allow your body. Uh, and it's like simple. I always say this to you every, every session, like allow it to be simple. Mm -hmm. How do you want to feel today? Follow that. Mm -hmm. And so some days I want to take, you know, my health supplements and some days I don't and like allowing your body to be the guide. You ruined uh, alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I really did. You did. It's like it really sucked the joy out of it. I know. I'm sorry. But uh, well, you feel better though, don't you? I haven't been drunk in months. And how does that feel for you? It feels great. Yeah. And I don't think I've felt bad before. Uh, although you get used to feeling bad, honestly. I remember when I was traveling in my 20s with... Uh, good buddy of mine. And, and part of it was, you know, meeting people, you know, Southeast Asia type of thing, right. And meet people. And it felt like, you know, some months where we, I was, it was a 26 or a night. It's just part of like every night was a party and it was amazing. And if it wasn't every night, it was five nights out of seven. Right. Um, and I don't even remember waking up feeling hungover. So either I wasn't, or I just got used to it. And, uh, but lately, you know, um, I would never have said I was an alcoholic or even had an alcohol problem. I've never drank alone in my life ever, not once. And I've always thought that's what an alcoholic is. It's somebody who turns to the bottle to, uh, you know, numb themselves, solve their problems. They can't stop, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, I did have, you know, a traumatic event, you know, just before we met in Quebec city and, and, uh, alcohol was related. And, and when I was talking about it with you, you raised the question, you know, like you just said, drinking's fine if you want to get together with your buddies and it brings you immense joy. And if that's part of it, you want it to be part of it, then go for it. But the question that you posed that just didn't sort of sit well with me or just kind of like kept bugging me was just understand why you're drinking, mm -hmm. you know? And so I thought I was in the clear because I never drank alone and, and that kind of stuff. And, and the drinking I did was always just social. It was never even my idea. It was always just me going with, you know, the flow, even being the life of the party sometimes. But once I got into the why behind it, um, 
shit got weird, you know? And then I read that book you recommended called Alcohol Explained. It's a fantastic book. Yeah. So I read it again. Yeah. Uh, I read it that one twice yeah. uh, just so I could understand it properly. And, uh, and that just answered so many, um, it's a really good book. It's not an AA thing. It's a different sort of, uh, approach than AA, which is faith-based. And it talks about everybody's journey with alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, it, everybody's journey starts with the first time you ever sipped it as a little kid often, you know, yeah. your very first sip off your dad's beer, you know, which gave you this feeling of like, I'm a man now, I'm grown up, you know, or, or, you know, uh, or whatever it was, everyone starts there and then ends with you drink yourself to death. And that's the same path for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's just what that book does is it just tells you, helps you understand what stage of that path that you're on. And, uh, and again, it's like great and terrible because once you know, for me, Mm -hmm. You know, once I sort of understood the why of drinking, it was very external. You know, it was, I was drinking because other people wanted me to. Mm-hmm. And once I snapped that thread, um, all of a sudden I was just drinking just way less. And when I did, it was just, it's been one or two. And again, not because somebody uh, really wanted to, it was something that I just wanted to try or, you know, I boat a lot. And sometimes, you know, you know, a sundowner on a beautiful day on a boat is just like, you know, part of a moment that's kind of nice or yeah. But it, for me, it was, yeah, it was, I didn't realize I was drinking for other people to make other people comfortable and didn't have much to do with me. And the other thing that was part of it was I didn't think I had any social anxiety. Mm. Um, but the thought of having a drink in hand at a, at a sort of like a, an event, um, especially like a work related event or a company event, like a networking event or, or whatever, having a drink in your hand, it just seemed like for sure, that's just something to do. Let's just start by going to the bar. You know, that's how this event, that's how this evening is going to start. And that's okay. If, uh, you know, for some people, but for me, it didn't, didn't sit well either. I don't want to need anything to, uh, have fun at a party or meet people or have some laughs. So I tried doing it without and, uh, went just fine. You know what else was embarrassing actually was I thought that when I stopped that it was gonna, that I thought somebody would care. <laughs> You're right. Isn't it? Yes. This actually comes up all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Not one person. Not one person's like, okay. Shit. No, 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 not really. Like maybe once or twice somebody said, oh, come on, you know, like, you know, tried a second, took a second run at it or something, but they caved so fast and, uh, um, and it was totally fine. Yeah, that was, that was weird. Yeah, it's powerful. This is where when you start in any format, um, investing in the self, you're really just investing in the authentic self. Yeah. Right. And so that opens up a lot of self query, which is what we've been doing. And then you start to, and and the beautiful thing is you're always in choice. Yeah. And again, there is no good and bads, but you start to look at things sometimes with a different lens when it's not in a fear lens, which we often just don't know that we're in. Yeah. So the spectrum of perspective widens yeah, and then we start to be able to be like in choice. And this is where we come back to leadership, being congruent, being online and in your body. It's a lot harder to be out of truth when you're feeling. Yeah. So that time where you started to realize, and we put that together and connected dots. So that's like the first step in working and having guidance is it just helps to have some help with context. So you're like, what's my context, right? 
And then you started to look and be like, oh, I'm actually not doing that in truth. So you could have a beer on sunset and it would serve you very well. There's nothing wrong with the alcohol in that aspect, right? But where you recognize that you were actually not congruent with yourself, it just gets harder when you do this type of work to show up out of integrity for yourself. And you said something really key because it's like, still, we think other people give a shit and they don't, right? Not even a little bit, but the internal guide, the internal alignment gets so much louder that we just start making different choices. And I think you probably would note, and this is where, you know, I have a few clients and it's not that I make people not drink, but I've had a few clients where they've realized that the inspiration for them drinking was not really aligned with the outcome in the felt space they were seeking. And so, you know, when they stopped drinking, they thought that connection would go away or they thought people would care and none of these things that was just like a confusion in the way that they had put their world together. And when you see what's possible, it doesn't become an effort. Like I don't observe for you that it's an effort. Like you're not going out as an alcoholic, being really triggered, trying to not drink. Once you get that clarity in your brain. So that's in like how the neurons are speaking to each other and firing. And we did a version of NLP and, and some neurologistic programming. So your brain was like, Oh, that was just a confusion. Yeah. You know? And once you had that, now you go out, you don't have that trigger, you know? And that, that's the coolest part about doing this kind of work. It's more almost amusement with yourself. We are like, Oh, you know, I guess I don't really need to, to have that beer, but it's not that you're fighting, not having it. Yeah. It would that be a fair. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's like something that's really cool to call out because there's, the type of work where we're forcing ourselves to do something. And I think that this is quite different. This is about waking up and seeing more clearly and then being in choice. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything. You just find yourself drawn to a different current often Yeah, when we're in truth. Yeah. And most people when offline, that's like one of the number one things that people ask support on is like, what is my purpose? What is my impact? Like, who am I? Yeah. Ultimately is what they're asking. Yeah. And we all know who we are, but it gets very muddy when we're offline. Once you drop in, like you're good. And we have sessions where you're like, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are nice. It's not the norm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but something you said reminded me of uh, what you were talking about earlier with uh, little kids, you know, learning to do what they got to do for love. And I think they, I think we as little kids do, do, do that hundred percent. All we speak is the language of love and we just want more of it. And, uh, and we learn what gets us love and what doesn't, or gets us the opposite. And through that, we develop the start of what becomes our persona. Mm-hmm. And then that persona gets reinforced when we go to school, you know, it develops more, mm-hmm. you know, we, we want uh, friendship, you know, we want, um, you know, I don't know, good success, you know, at school and socially and academically or whatever. So our persona, um, especially socially, I think gets gets crystallized even more. And then we go into the workplace and um, even more, you know, you, you by then it's, you know, it's fairly, fairly hardened. And, and now you're finding you're you're sort of like out of the comfort, the safety of your parents nest and you're maybe on your own. And so whatever it is, it's got to be that. Cause that's going to be what kind of gets you through. And along the way, um, some habits like drinking, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, take you back to that persona thing. And one of the things that came up for me when I started 
reading and thinking a lot about alcohol was related to persona and disassociating from who I really am authentically and uh, going back to a persona that had been incredibly successful for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I said life at the party and I think that's what reminded me of that thinking just now, you know, it's a, it's a person who's in my mind, this has all changed realizing nobody cares, but you know, in my <laughs> mind at the time, um, you know, life at the party, super fun, you know, back when I was single, there was all that part of it and other parts of it that, you know, I used to fight a lot when I was young and things like that. It's all part of this persona that I became addicted to thinking that that's what people wanted and that's what worked and in those type of given situations. And once I realized that, cause there's, there's drinking and there's getting drunk. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what I'm talking about now is about like the why behind getting drunk, yeah. knowing what I know now, I can't even imagine getting drunk. I'm not saying it could never happen. Um, but, uh, and I'm not saying it won't happen, um, I think but it definitely it won't did, happen for those reasons. Yeah, I was going to say, if it did happen, yeah. it would be with different intent. And yeah. I think that's the truth yeah. of what has really been, there's been light shone on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It would be accidental in a really fun way. Yeah. Um, with, uh, people or in a situation that, that it was somehow just a part of, you know, I could imagine, you know, a sunny rooftop patio with just amazing people and amazing conversation that just, you never wanted it to end. And, and by the way, there was some, some drinks that were there and it kind of lasted too long. It would be something like that, but it wouldn't be for those reasons that I think I, I drank. And I think the key before. to just, uh, like illuminate right there is it's not what you do. It's how you feel in the doing, mm -hmm. right? So you can do what you want to do, but the felt space is going to be very, very different for you, which before it was about trying to not feel something. And then that was the social lubrication that ultimately kept you safe. So it created a different version of cam in order to be safe. But now if you were to make that choice and have a few drinks and get a little loose, it would be with the intent and be you. Yeah. This persona would no longer, that would be birthed historically, this version. Yeah wouldn't come alive. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's ultimately the distinction is in any state that you're in, that you're just able to be you. Mm -hmm. The other change that's happening is just with alcohol in general. I mean, it's just such an old fashioned thing. It's almost like when people, you know, still I'm in a lot of situations where there's a lot of drinking and, and one fun way of sort of said no, like in a, in a, in a high pressure environment, but making it light and in a fun way, as I refer to it as retro, like it's, it is almost retro in my mind. It's old fashioned. It's, there's so many, if you really do want to augment your perception of reality, mm -hmm. if you want to feel a different way, um, there's just so many legal alternatives now for, uh, well, this is the thing we're in a psychedelic Renaissance. And one of my really dear friends, Fiona Heffer has a company called Sensorium. And I love her tagline because it's, what is the culture? without alcohol at the center of it. And I really think that psychedelics are a way of accessing joy or fun or work. Like people are waking up and wanting to feel and wanting inquiry. Whereas an old, when you say it's like retro is like people wanted to check out and alcohol is one of the most efficient ways to go offline. Literally you go, it's called a spirit. You go out of the body. Yeah. And so now even there, you know, my friend's company as an example, it's like, uh, a marketplace for non-alcoholic beverages and they're beautiful. 
you know, it's like, how can we have celebratory moments where we, you know, we've used alcohol as an anchor to connect, but we can choose another anchor. That's just a neurological wiring. Yeah. So people connect alcohol with eliciting joy and connection. Yeah. Even though actually it does completely the opposite to your physiology. It does disconnection. Yeah. And I'm really excited about where psychedelics are going. Yeah. You know, if people do their work, if we have more space inside of ourselves, if we practice connection, because we're learning how to dump the mental health bucket and work on our well-being hygiene. Yeah. It's like more is possible. Yeah. So how did you get into all this? Oh my God. It's been a really like a lifelong journey. Like I wrote across the Atlantic when I was 21. Tell me that story. <laughs> Cause you, you've yeah. only talk about getting drunk in a pub. Yeah. So this is That's what happened. Yeah. Right? This is like literally I'm like 21 years old. I'm living in Ireland and somebody puts this pamphlet on a pub table and it reads the ultimate test to the human spirit. And I've like, have no idea. I'm 21 and I'm for sure shit faced, yeah. you know? And there was something inside of me that said, pay attention, Tori. Yeah. And everybody else just kept drinking, but this, like this really grabbed me and my boyfriend at the time. Yeah. We open it up and it reads transatlantic rowing race from Spain to the Caribbean in a 24 foot ocean rowing boat. Now I have never rowed a day in my life. And you're tiny. I'm tiny. Yeah. I'm a personal shopper. Like I'm an average athlete. Yeah. There is nothing here that should say, Tori, this is a message from God. This is for you. Yeah. And my mother's worst nightmare. And it's also my nature of person when I historically, and it's come at a fault at different times in my life. When I say I'm going to do something, I have a pretty high track record. And so, you know, everybody was like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to do this. And, uh, and also too, just for context, cause like I wasn't an athlete, it was rated the number one endurance sport in the world, like above Mount Everest. Wow. Okay. And like less people in one day or less people had ever crossed the Atlantic that's than summit Mount Everest in one day. So it was like almost certain death, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so you're saying more people summit Everest in a single day than have ever rode across the Atlantic at that time. Yeah. Now it's, it's been 16 years. I've a few, a few years, Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so anyways, I go to bed, wake up the next day. Obviously nobody else wants to do it because it's a bad idea. But Paul Gleason, who was my boyfriend at the time and became my rowing partner, uh, we decided we wanted to do this. We went down, we found people who had done it before. These like two old, like hardened sea dogs, Eamon and Peter in Kavanaugh Ireland? in Ireland. Yeah. And they were like exactly what you're imagining, like Shackleton or oh, like, totally. like there. I couldn't understand a word. They're talking about a pipe out of the mouth, like kind of a wool. Why were you there? Why were you in Ireland? I was in Ireland because Paul was Irish. Oh. And, uh, like I said, like, honestly, I was 21. It's like, what was I doing there? I had no idea. Uh, party. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Just not be like, you're just being somewhere cool. And then, um, and these we, old veteran guys, they, yeah, these old veteran soldiers. guys, they basically put us in a boat. It was actually, they put us in this skiff. It's like this old Viking boat. And it's like the Irish sea is fucking miserable. Like it's so miserable, so rough and cold and just like misery meets company kind of situation. Yeah. And the ore is almost heavier than me. Like I'm about 110 pounds and this ore is like literally almost about hundred, like the <laughs> close to the same. And we're rowing. I can barely lift it. Yeah. And I was like too slow and it caught in the water and it picked me up and catapulted me off the boat yeah. into the Irish sea. Yeah. Never been. And, and I have a phobia of the cold. Like I hate, I'm so, I'm such a wimp when it comes to cold. Yeah. And I, so I was dying inside. 
but I got back and they pulled me back in the boat and now I'm like wet and it's freezing outside and we had to continue rowing and they were just like working us because they thought we were a joke. And then we came back and we were like, okay, we want to row across the Atlantic. Did you each have one oar or do you have two each? Just one in this particular boat, yeah. one oar. But on the actual boat, yeah. we only ever rowed one at a time. Yeah. And um, we rotated two hours on, two hours off, 24 hours a day. And you had a pair of oars each. And we had a pair of okay. oars each. So yeah, back to the old guys. So they had Yeah, so back off. to the old guy. Basically, they were like, okay, you're nuts and we'll train you. So we refitted the boat. I'm 21. Okay. So we refitted the boat ourselves. They coach us through it. And it was a 24 foot ocean rowing boat. Looked like it had sort of a hard dome tent on the back. And we had three months of food supply, learned astro navigation. Like I'd never even been in an ocean until that day wow. physically. And like I was from, the, I'm from the prairie. So there's like no Olympic rowers coming from there. And then we get to the start line. We were the Jamaican bobsled team. If you remember that movie, but for rowing, because we showed up and I don't know, this is what 21 will give you. It had never occurred to me that rowing was a prerequisite. So we show up, everybody else is Olympic rowers. Yeah. Because who else wants to row across the Atlantic? Of course. Like there's no reason to do this. You can fly. Yeah. And it was 90,000 euro, which on a personal shopper salary at 21. Oh, that was the entry fee. Yeah. 90,000 euro. It was like a million dollars. Yeah. But we raised it. This is why also Ireland, I probably shouldn't say this on here, went into recession. It's like, you know, we went into the bank and like got a mini. But I was like, who's given some 21-year-old girl from another company financing? That's crazy, you know? Really? So, yeah. So we did we did all sorts of creative things Yeah. in order to make that happen. Sheer belief. And what I had in that moment is I had total congruence. I don't know why, but I could feel myself crossing the finish line as though it was a reality in my body before I had ever even stepped in the boat. And you do have that blind faith when you're younger. So ignorance can be bliss, but I didn't have a vision. I had like a feeling like it was really, really bizarre. Even it was also slightly anticlimactic when I actually crossed the finish line. So we started in Spain and we finished in the Caribbean and it was three months. It was 86 days. And we were out there during the year of hurricane Katrina. We had two hurricanes, tropical storm, cyclone, my God. It was and and the thing is is now I would be afraid, but I didn't know at yeah. that time. I had no idea. Wow. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, it looks like a big wave. I didn't know it was like the tail end of Hurricane Katrina, yeah. you know? And um scary moments. Yeah, we well, we had one moment where my boat went up a 60-foot swell and then it curled my boat on top of me. And then broke my ribs and I had to row. So this is where the concept of the felt space for me, the beginning of my work that I didn't know. So my boat comes down on top of me, a 60 foot swell with a one ton boat. And I crush my ribs. I hit the side of the boat. I'm tethered to it. So I'm fine. You know, the boat is built itself right. It comes back and my partner pulls me on and I'm now in the middle of the Atlantic. And we don't really have enough resources to keep going if I don't row. We don't know my ribs are broken, but I'm puking blood and bile. We know it's just like really bad. Yeah. And if anybody has broken their ribs, like I'd rather break any other bone. Like that's a particularly I've heard uncomfortable because even breathing hurts. Now imagine having to pull a one tumbo. Yeah. And so how I coped with this is I had to keep rowing pretty much straight away. And also we're in a hurricane at this moment. Okay. So I pretty much a couple hours later, I got back on the oars and I continued to row and I would be pulling on these oars and I would just be puking all over myself because uh, a level of pain that I can't articulate. 
And I started to recite this thing that my dad had sent me. I said, push through the pain, face the fear. You're a Viking to Valhalla and back. And I would literally leave my body and I would disconnect at such a place that I might be having a conversation like this. And I would get so detailed that I would just change the color of your hair and just keep repeating it to a point that I just had no feeling. And I did that every two hours rotating in two hour shifts for 24 hours for the next 30 days until I hit land. And that came at such a high cost because for years I was hired as a professional speaker, you know, speaking motivational, but the message that I give today is very, very different because I, in that moment had dissociated in order to save my life, but it came at a cost because when I hit land, I was so disconnected from my body that I watched myself in a ceremony and I became the youngest woman in history in that year to row across the Atlantic. And I also was like, you know, one of the first Canadians, the first Canadian uh, set to do this. And that's a huge honor, particularly for somebody who's never even wrote a day in their life. Yeah. And I felt nothing. And I think that many entrepreneurs could relate to working really hard and getting to big moments and then being like, why am I not feeling anything? Yeah. And that led me to an early life quake, I call it. So that's when you get inspired through high contrast to get online when you've been offline. And so that I couldn't gain weight after the row and I started to get uh, sick and I had early stage breast cancer on my left breast and I was only like 23. Wow. And that really got me. It was like, how could I row across the Atlantic and then potentially be taken out by my own body? It seemed like such a insane concept. Totally. And that led me to study, you know, nutrition for year, multiple years. I went to school for nutrition, Ayurvedic medicine and, and practitioner and, and a focus on pharmacology and nutrition. And I opened up businesses around that topic and offering people health alternatives and opportunities. And you know what? I built and I built and I built and I built in this expansion and retraction that I spoke about. I didn't get what I missed in is that I didn't ever learn how to regulate my nervous system. and I couldn't come back online. I didn't even know I was offline and you can do a lot dissociated. So when I'm sharing this with path and I'm helping the CEOs, I know this very well. So your message about the row changed, like you were champion motivation for years, right? Is that really courage would have been to ask for help. Yeah. It would have been to resource help. It would have been to, not make it to the podium, but to honor my body. Cause you know, that level of pain is saying you're not okay. And in order, I objectified my body in order to win the game. Yeah. And then I repeated that in my life and it came at a cost. Mm-hmm. And so I did, and I've done a lot of incredible things in my life, even acquired cost. Do you think that manifested the cancer? Oh, I think that like the, I think my direct correlation to cancer is that it created a flora all dis-ease is at the foundation inflammation. How your body manifests it is just your body's conversation. Yeah. So, you know, we have something called BRCA in my family. So it's a gene mutation. So, you know, why did I get it? Not my cousin and that person and that person and that person. So I created the flora. And for me, it's been my greatest teacher, my greatest gift, because it was like, hey, you got to figure out. I didn't know how, how to get back in. And... And it took me, it took me probably 10 years to get that concept. And today, like I often teach feeling versus doing. And I spent a lot of years doing to try and get a feeling. And I was feeling really, really numb 
because I was in a nervous system lock and I was just offline. Yeah. And the more successful you are, the reality is even what we're talking about you with the character, honestly, the more successful you are at creating patterns and character pattern sets that have just kept you safe. Persona, I mean. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, so I, I was actually just like, had a lot of mastery. Yeah. And had to learn how to break that. And so in all the things I learned, and and this is why we say in our work, it's meant to be tool-based and all the things I've learned, recognizing that my breath was a key to being in my body and in my life was what changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. And on the outside to somebody looking in, the shift is subtle, but on the inside, there's a personal freedom that took me 15 years to learn, which is so much simpler than all of the work I did, which was I just needed to breathe in order to come online. And then everything that I had already learned and acquired and put around me became accessible. And that was a great example for you today in your breath session and that you've done all this work. All you needed to do is get online to experience that you already have freedom. Who taught you how to breathe first? Well, I guess it's come in many different forms. I would say, you know, it starts out with, um, with like pranayama and yoga. And I spent a bunch of time in the Ganges and I like sat in a cave with this guy for some period of time, which is like a random dude. And we meditated like 12 hours a day because again, I, it's just my nature to be extreme. So, you know, if you're having like a life quake and you're like, nobody's regretted learning how to meditate. So I was like, I'm going to do that. And I just, my personality was like, I don't want to listen to Joe Dispenza. My love. I was like, I'm going to go to a cave in India. Yeah. And like find some dude. Yeah. And if I can't figure it out, meditating is not for me. Yeah. You know? So I went to India, spent 30 days and meditated 12 hours a day. And um, a lot of priming for meditation is breath. Breath. Yeah. So many, many different. And I would say that's where I got a lot of the, um, you know, when people say what kind of breath you work do you do? And, and, I, and I don't even, I don't say I'm a breath facilitator. I, you know, I would say I'm, support people in building emotional resilience. And that's one tool. It's a, it's a tool to access the self. So, you know, there's conscious connected breathing. Um, you know, there's holotropic breathing. There's so many different ways. And what's really cool, like we've worked on this before is by knowing your breath pattern, you can downregulate up, you can downregulate, you know, you can come down. So you don't want to do the same breath pattern if you feel anxious. Mm. You already have too much air. You already, you know, you actually want to ground and come down. Yeah. But if you're really lethargic, well then now we want to come up. Yeah. And so you can also use your breath to directly correlate with your mood for exactly how you want to feel like yeah. a lever, like you're driving a car with a, a gas pedal. Yeah. So to downregulate, it's like a three, six or a four, eight breath yeah. where and the exhale is longer and the opposite for upregulate. Yeah. yeah. And it makes sense, right? Because it's like, we're taking in more oxygen, yeah. even like air goes up. Right. And if we allow oxygen to release out, we sink down. Yeah. That's what we'd see in a pool. And then when we're calming, I love a box breath, which is, you know, before in, for hold, for out. And you're just doing, and for release, you'd just be doing this cycle. Yeah. And, you know, that's a great one. If you're on the cusp, I always say it's like the quiver. You haven't hit the critical moment yet, but you feel it coming. You just want to stay in that calm and just give your nervous system a little, like, it's like rinsing out a, a little a cloth. Yeah. So that's a great, really accessible, do it at your desk. The one that we've done a lot, I think it's really helpful is like when we're feeling really anxious, 
or we feel like sometimes uh, there's like that restriction on the chest is to breathe in for three in the nose and then out for six through the mouth so that we're down regulating. And I also love to have people focus on their feet. You know, if you're really struggling with anxiety, like touch a physical part of your body, feet on the ground is I find the most powerful for me. We have, we have a lot of nerves so we can, our brain can be like really connect to that. And then breathe out a, a double breath for whatever you choose to breathe in. And like, these are just like little life hacks that just, you know, and, and the reality is you don't do them once. It's going to help you, but it's going to help you if you do it every day, whenever you need it, then all of a sudden it just becomes like getting coffee or just becomes, you know, to self-soothe, you know, in the morning I, I used to get a coffee all the time, Yeah. but now I do a set of breath. And the reality is it's not because I'm trying to be healthy. It's just that my brain is now connected that I get the same itch with the coffee. And in reality, I don't have to buy or make the coffee. So it's just easier and I'm lazy. Yeah. Really. You know, but that's how it starts to be over time is there's an effortless that starts to happen when we start working with the neuroplasticity and we start impacting the neurology to have different pathways. Yeah. And that's ultimately what we want to do in our work together. So we, we don't want to like labor through, we want to create new pathways of opportunity for your brain. Yeah. And give you the regulation tools to be able to do that. Yeah. Back to Bali. How's Bali? Why, why, why Bali? Why do you live in Bali half the year? Well, cause man, I hate the cold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's good I, reason. I'm such a sunbird. And also too, okay, you Bali's know, awesome. I practice what I preach and like my felt space in the sense of like, I've built a life. I can authentically say I've built a life for how I want to feel and then allowed the doing to follow that. And so for me, it's almost like a game in my life right now for the concept of abundance. And what does that mean? It's like, I know how to make money. I know how to build things. I know how to do all this, but I've historically done it offline. So now I have this feeling, a calmness. I think you probably experienced me like a groundedness. And now I'm building. And the, actually the challenge for me personally is to do that while keeping the feeling. And so that means in moments I've had to go way slower, it can be really thwarting you know, or I've had to honor myself in different ways. And it's like this personal social science experiment. And so a big part of that is Bali is a, almost like an incubator for spirituality in a way. It's a place in the world for whatever reason you have San Francisco's like a tech place. And then you have New York, which is like a finance incubator. And then Bali is like a well-being and spirituality incubator. So it tends to draw the best of the best. So upskilling access to, um, you know, new tools are readily available for me and I get to surf every day yeah. and then talk to some of the most inspiring men in the world. I, I think I love my clients. I love what I do. And I love, I'm so, you know, we always journey together for a minimum of six months. So it's like, you know, we're, we're really, you know, vested. I always say I become like part of their board of life advisors. You have like your company's board advisors, but who's on your board of life advisors, you know, like when you really want to resource camp. And, uh, yeah, it's such deep and personal work. And so given the opportunity to be in the rain in Vancouver, no matter how nice your house is or in Bali with the sun shining and waking up and hitting a few waves, that just always for me feels, Oh yeah. um, and I also, you know, your clients often you align with, and we have a lot in common. And for me, my, one of my highest value systems is freedom. So I've worked really, really hard to um, build a life that is prioritizes agility around freedom. 
It's cool. Yeah. Next week you're going away. Yeah. So next week I'm doing something really good. This is like a dream come true. I'm going on a pilgrimage in Egypt. What? Yeah. Like a legit, like this isn't like a retreat. Yeah. It's a pilgrimage in that. So my very good friend, um, Lara Meising, she is a documentary maker. And so she sort of came to this amongst many things. And she had this vision and she is taking 12 of us. So a few men and a bunch of women through Egypt, through the lens of an Egyptian woman. And why I'm excited about this is that she is a documentary maker. So the curation is through the lens of like that detail, that curiosity, that yeah. um, curation, as opposed to like, here's your package of, you know, whatever, like yeah. your retreat. And if you're aware of like the Babylonian mystery schools or just like the concept of um, Egyptian mythology, which is at the foundation of lots of spiritual teachings and the, the things that are being referenced um, we are going and we are going throughout Egypt. We're going on a boat down the Nile to some of the pyramids where there's like hidden hieroglyphs of like, uh, you know, submarines and helicopters and bicycles. And we have a historian with us who knows the mainstream narrative and the suppressed narrative. Sorry, did you say there's hieroglyphs? Of yeah. So there's um, some of the pyramids they actually found um, recently. Well, like let's say 20 years ago that under some of the I don't know if they're referred to as tiles or tabs um, yeah. that they'd fallen off, that there was actually hidden hieroglyphs underneath yeah. that were of submarines and bicycles and helicopters and things that are very modern today. Yeah. And so we're like going down a whole can of worms and we're yeah. sleeping in the desert with um, the nomadic people. We're going to the first offering table in the world, which is a natural six meter by six meter quartz. It's a stargate in the middle of the desert that almost nobody knows about. It's like, you know, it's in the middle of a desert. Like how's there just this massive quartz sticking out? Yeah. So we're doing a bunch of stuff there. And what I'm most excited about on the equinox, we are going into the great pyramid and we have a pass for three hours to go into the King's chamber. And we have the oldest matriarchal healer in um, Egypt and she's like the elder. And I, I wish I could recall her name right now, but her father is really famous and really well known. And it, the story that's exciting is that he actually passed before he died his teachings to his daughter instead of his eldest son. And so she's now the one that, so is that now the shift of the matriarch sort of leading in this capacity. And she's taking us into the chamber and she is basically doing an attuning with us. So the pyramid is attuned to an F sharp and they, there's some theories that believe that how they move the stones was through frequency and that um, this is like going down a whole rabbit hole. But basically there's also a thought that, you know, pre-Egyptian what that was telepathy and that, you know, it was actually frequency was the whole point of like, it's at the basis of the whole Egyptian culture in ancient Egypt. And so for a couple miles radius, it's measurably the frequency around the pyramids as an F sharp, which also is the flower of life. So that's pretty cool. And some of the, all the pyramids actually have a frequency that's measurable. And one of the pyramids was slightly moved when they were excavating it or whatnot. And it is not have a frequency. Wow. So, and we have no idea. They don't know how to get that back. And I don't have any idea, but maybe I'll learn a few things. Yeah. So we're going in on the equinox and this woman is attuning our body to an F sharp. Of course and you're honestly, excited about that. You know what I think is really funny? Cause I also keep having these dreams because 
we were talking about this is like, I can be in New York and sit at a boardroom table and it's like really intense, you know, um, finance meeting with like my client and helping them make decisions and, and whatnot. And then I'm also next week then going and I'm going to like be in mystery school. Yeah. And like, that's me being living my best life and that, and also not taking it too seriously. So I would say I'm like, you know, like comedian, like Amy Schumer on spiritual. And so like, I imagine myself like in the middle of this tomb, you know, this like wizard doing whatever she's doing on me. And I'm just like, I'm always just like open. I'm just curious as a human. I love, I'm just curious about everything. And I open my eyes and then I see like, you know, the outlines of the, of the people that are like sketched onto the wall. They start like coming out of the wall and I've like accidentally activated some alien portal. And I feel like it'll be like breaking news, Canadian girl activates alien portal. And you'd be like, wait a minute. I think that's my coach. <laughs> and I just feel like that kind of shit happens to me. Like it was going to happen to somebody. Yeah, It's like the, the opposite. Always, like, it's like when I was telling you about my psychedelic strips, like the opposite always happens to me. The opposite of what your intention? No, just like, I just feel like maybe it's because I'm happy to share like the humility of like the embarrassing things always in some ways. Yeah. It's the best part. Yeah. And I, and I also am like, I'm happy to always share with humor my being like, oh, okay. I, what I, mean. I went to Egypt and I did this thing and I'm like, fucking unlock the alien portal. I didn't know how to get them back in, but they seem really nice. You know, it's all good. I hope you do. Yeah. I'll give you a zoom. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be having our session and I'll be like, uh, yo cam, I just want to introduce you here. Big guy upstairs, uh, says you're doing good. That sounds so fun. You're doing yeah. that next week. Yeah. I've been privileged to do so many incredible adventures in my life. That I'm so grateful for but I feel intuitively like this one is like something's going to go down. <laughs> and let's be honest, like I'm, I'm like, you know, like as a spiritual being, you know, I've done a lot of work, but I'm also just like a full on, just average Joe living down here, live my best life. I was like, I'm not qualified to like have some yeah. alien interaction. Yeah. So I like that too. I like keeping like a beginner's mind, I think, it's yeah. thing, you know, and, and it's just uh, a fresh, open perspective to things, always wanting to learn, not thinking that you know it all. And also like a huge thing for me is also play, like also just like being playful, you know, like not taking it all too serious. Like we're all just doing our best. Yeah. We all are doing the best with the tools we have today. And just like always remembering to at the end of the day, it's like have a laugh. And that's what I love with my clients because I think I have, as an example, a great relationship. It was like, we go deep and some breath works are like exorcism. They can get into some interesting places. And then at the end, you can also just like have a hug and a laugh Yeah, and be like, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. We're still alive. Yeah. I bet some people get emotional. Oh, all the time. Yeah. It's, it's a felt space. I'll get you count. Stuff just bubbles up. Is uh, Yeah. If you, if you don't get emotional at some point, like there has to be permission how to feel and crying as an example, tears are one of the quickest ways to reset the nervous system. If somebody, that's why children, if somebody is crying, their nervous system is resetting. And even sometimes you might have a moment where you're like, I don't really feel that sad, but our eyes are like tearing. Yeah. It's your nervous system calibrating. Yeah. 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 I had that today a little bit. Yeah. Laughing is also another one. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like when you say do mushrooms and you have like a crazy release, that's your nervous system trying to calibrate. Yeah. Like, like for me as, as a, 
calibrator. I'm actually a nervous laughter. So it's like we all have our access points. So most of my embarrassing moments have been me hysterically laughing in the, wrong time. the most inappropriate <laughs> situations ever. Yeah. But also that's just my body calibrating. Yeah. So whether it's crying, whether it's making noise, whether it's laughing, whether it's like moving and shaking, we see this even in little kids with, we call it ADHD or, you know, whatever. And they're constantly moving. It's their nervous system is trying to reset and not able to access it. Yeah. So it's like our body actually knows when we just get out of the ego and saying, don't do this now, or it's not appropriate to do that. And just being allowed, yeah. allowing. Yeah. And the space of allowing, as long as it's respectful in my experience is always playful. It's always light, like a child. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, uh, I've got so much of our work together, you know, and it's, um, ongoing. Um, and if there's people out there that want to get in touch or learn more, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, my uh, website is being worked on right now. So you, it may be accessible or not, but it's your feltspace.com and we can pop that up on whatever the links are. Or you can access me at Tori, T-O-R-I at ToriHolmes.com. And yeah, I, I take on clients in six month cycles. As you know, we're, we're coming up to halfway in our six month cycle. Yeah. And then I'm taking usually like my cycles, my next like opening of clients will be at the end of uh, October. So if anybody is looking to increase emotional resilience or learn to feel their life more deeply and increase their leadership, then I'm a girl. I recommend it. Don't be a little baby. Don't, Don't be scared. Be no, the thing is, it. thing is, do be a baby. Do be a baby. Yeah, okay. do no, do be. I was like, you got to don't wait. be afraid to be a baby. Yeah, don't be afraid to be a baby. <laughs> is or don't be afraid to be a baby and show up. And well, the one thing too is, I actually, I also, I work with men and women, but there's this perception that men aren't emotional. Give them a container. Watch what happens. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> what does yes. that mean? Oh yeah. It's like once you make it safe, cause it's just not safe often for men yeah. to, um, without being threatened in their masculinity. Yeah. Um, and so I guess the container of, I think the, my masculine and feminine are pretty balanced. So it's like, I can hold you like a hurricane. Yeah. I can help you with my femininity to drop in. And that's often how we work. Yeah. You are balanced. You're like a bro. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. I'll be like, I'm like a bro, but I'm like, you can cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I promise I will try my hardest yeah. ugly face cry. Oh, you right I'm going to just, on the other side, I'm just going to be like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are your KPIs for your work? I'm like, ugly face cry. Yeah. Yes. Victory. Yes. So funny. Well, thank you. Let's well, do it again. Let's get you. weirder next time. Yeah. Let's get weirder next time. And also to one thing that we spoke about. So if people who are listening, want to give feedback and they want a little taste, like one thing that we could do is we could do a shared breath journey uh, and nervous system resetting in the future. Um, and like something can, that people could follow along yeah, with? Yeah, something that, you know, we could be like, give you the instructions so people are set up for success, like, and then actually guide them. Cool. And you would be the person here and we would guide them yeah. collectively. So you'd be having it and then all your bros would be having their breath journey. And, uh, uh, you know, what's cool also too about a recording, it's not the same as, one-to-one, but yeah. it is still, um, it's like going to a, a group workout class, Yeah, but we're going to do a workout for the nervous system. Yeah. It's just easier too. like, I mean, yeah. when I learned how to meditate, it was, it was guided, you know, mm -hmm. at first for sure. I don't know how I could have learned any other way from yeah. myself. Well, this is a cool thing, especially like say with our work yeah. is like the more you do it, it just becomes a pathway. 
And so that's why you need guides, coach in whatever you're doing in life at the beginning. But once you have that pathway until you up level, it, it's like it eventually that deep breath just becomes your breath. It's just that that's not the pathway of the body yet, yeah. you know, and even compared to the first time you went way deeper today, but we've practiced a bit more breath and compared to the first time, like that was, I was pulling your teeth out on that one. God. Yeah. Yeah. You mean yes. the first time when you were here in this, yeah. in this very room? Yeah, it was, uh, were, I physically couldn't yes, breathe. Yes, physically couldn't. I was exhausted just yes. from trying to breathe. You were annoyed at me. I was. For making you it breathe. It was annoying. It was like, <laughs> when can this end? I know. But then you felt so good at the end. And then, yeah, you, yeah like you dropped in and surrendered like the last 10 minutes. <sighs> and then you were like, then you were just like a totally different person. You were just like, your nervous system was just like. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And now what took us 40 minutes that time to get into took you 22 minutes today. And in, I would say a month, it's going to take you five. And for me at this moment in time, well, practice is like I can, and what I use at the end, the anchor of the, I am, which we'll learn later. There's a process that now I can be anywhere. And I know within under a minute I can drop in and find home. That's cool. And that's just a skill. That's the thing. There's like nothing magical about that. That's just been practice. It's a good one. Yeah. So thanks everybody. And I look forward to the exciting new people that come forward that are looking forward to waking up to their felt space and guiding the world and feeling better. Go for it. Have fun on your trip. I'm oh, so yeah. excited to hear about it. I will definitely be reporting yeah. on. Yeah. Also to my Instagram is Tori Holmes. H-O-L-M-E-S, life, because if you are interested in Egypt, I so rarely actually post, but I feel like just in case aliens come out, I like, I want to capture it. Yeah. And I think, uh, this can be your, <laughs> this can be your new Netflix is I brave into the wild and go into the alien ship first. So you can watch from the safety of your home and then decide whether you want to <laughs> do a pilgrimage next year. I don't really look at Instagram, but I will look at that. I am curious. Yeah. I'm so jealous. Sounds so fun. Thanks for today. Okay, awesome. awesome. Thanks for setting me up so nicely for this coming weekend. And uh, it's going to be awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cam. All right. Such an honor to work with you. Ciao.